Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace this morning. Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. The passage continues on, of course, but this is the exact moment that Nicodemus gets confused, and for the entire passage, he stays confused. I have a lot of sympathy for the guy. Jesus, in any of the Gospels, is difficult to understand, but to me there's an added layer of tragedy to this conversation, because at first glance, it truly looks like Jesus and Nicodemus are saying the same thing. Both men are talking about how we see God at work in the world. But they're coming at it from slightly different angles, and that makes a big difference. Nicodemus is talking about witnessing God at work through Jesus. It's only chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, but Nicodemus has already been seeing and noticing what Jesus has done. Jesus has been affirming human dignity by calling disciples from the lowly classes of society. He's been showing God's endless, abundant joy by turning water into wine at a wedding. 
Jesus has been returning people to faith in God rather than faith in money by driving out corruption from the temple in Jerusalem. And Nicodemus sees this, and he clearly names that God is working through Jesus. He sees God in Jesus. And that's beautiful and good. That's a core Christian belief, one that's been anchoring the church for millennia. In fact, we could speak these words too. I think we, we say a creed every week in worship, and I think this might actually work as a creed. Jesus, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do apart from the presence of God. That confession holds water. So where's the confusion? It's not that Nicodemus gets it wrong, that he gets it incomplete. Nicodemus sees God at work in Jesus, and then he doesn't want to look for God at work anywhere else. Like Nicodemus thinks God came to this world one time in Jesus, and that's what we ought to focus on, and nothing else. Just Jesus and how great he is. It isn't just Nicodemus who makes this mistake. It's too many Christians as well. The church has a reputation for this. Many people, and I bet you could name them in your lives, many people are leaving the church for good because they see us as too tied to preserving a narrow, one-dimensional faith that focuses on trying to please this guy that who lived 2,000 years ago. And the way we do that is by living individually pure lives. And we never look up and look at, for God at work in our own lives. And we never think that God might be throwing a party out in the world and inviting us to join it over and over again. People think that we confess a faith which is unable to speak clearly to where God is in the stuff that people are going through today, even when that stuff is hard or confusing or shameful. I think about a couple acquaintances of mine who tried out a new church. It was the Sunday after there was a school shooting in Parkland, Florida. And the people there at that church, they were praising Jesus with loud voices and songs. And the pastor preached a sermon about the faithfulness of God in Jesus. But no one mentioned that children had been shot in their own school that week. And nobody asked, where was God in all of that? They were too busy reading stories of God working through Jesus in the Bible to ask where God might be in the world around them. Or consider this study that came out this week by the Pew Research Center. It's on what Americans think about refugees and whether, generally speaking, our nation ought to accept and welcome them. Do you know who had the lowest measure of support for welcoming refugees? White Christians. I don't think at this church we need to ha all have the same politics. I think there can be beautiful, faithful disagreement on strategy, on priorities, 
And I think that while we can differ on that stuff, we can pursue the same goal. And I think diversity in a lot of forms is healthy and good for us. But it's so sad for me to think about this study, to think that there are people out there, millions of people in America reading the scriptures and looking at Jesus and reading about Jesus blessing people of other nationalities and Jesus promising to appear among us as a stranger and Jesus becoming a literal refugee when his family flees to Egypt. And they don't put it together in their minds that God might just be offering us an invitation to recognize God's presence in folks fleeing persecution and then to ask ourselves, how are we gonna be about that work together? A too narrow focus on Jesus in scripture makes us miss him in the world. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish thinker of Christianity, called this way of thinking admiring Christ rather than following Christ. Admiring Christ rather than following Christ, that is the trap that Nicodemus is falling into. And Jesus, praise be to him, he issues a subtle yet important correction. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. What a promise is in these words. Because Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is already here. It's something we can see. God is already out there moving and shaking and creating space for hope to bloom and forgiveness to flow and compassion to flower. The God that Jesus testifies to is, yes, of course, present in the person of Jesus, but the God that Jesus knows is already just loose in this world, bringing about a kingdom of love that demands our allegiance more than any flag or party or ideology. God is out there, whether or not we see God. But then why would we not want to see God? And Jesus tells us that in order to see God and God's kingdom, we've got to be born from above. In other words, we must see God not as something external to us or something in the past or something confined to scripture, but understand God as a force that is loving each one of us enough to give us birth. It's understanding that God doesn't just have to do with Jesus, God has something to do with us as well. Being born from above means being willing to look at our lives and our bodies and asking where God is and knowing that God uses our lives and our bodies to bring redemption and love and mercy into this world. So Nicodemus, he sees Jesus and he marvels at God, but he's marveling at God from afar. And when we are born from above, it means we are marveling at God right up close. It means that we see ourselves as having a stake in the kingdom of God, even as we come to understand that God has a stake in us. Martin Luther, whose name this church bears, 
wrote this about the Lord's Prayer. He wrote, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we know in fact that God's kingdom comes about without our prayer. However, we ask in this prayer that it may also come about in us. That's what Nicodemus is missing. He may be praying for God's kingdom to come, but he doesn't believe that it can come to him. That's all faith is, by the way. It's not believing that God exists in general. It's not conforming your mind to fit correct doctrine. It's not even being able to lead a pious and moral life. Faith is trust. It's trusting that your life is not separate from what God is up to in the world, but wrapped up together with what God is doing. Faith is trusting that you are part of God's kingdom that is already loose in the world. Faith is trusting that God has faith in you. Now earlier I suggested that Nicodemus' words might make a pretty good creed for us. But can I turn your attention to the creed that we actually do say in worship? Because whenever we recite this Apostles' Creed, I think we make the shift from admiring Christ to following Christ. We start out with God who created the world, and then we go through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and then things get really funky. We say we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. The Church. We believe in the Church, which you are a part of. You are a part of the Apostles' Creed. Your life and God's activity in it is something that we say we believe in every single time we gather. We confess each week that God's work didn't finish in Jesus, but that it continues on in us as we are guided by the Holy Spirit. This is why that I wish whenever I see one of those signs that's like, John 3:16. I want to take a sharpie and scribble and verse 17 too. <laughs> because yes, it is extremely good news that God so loved the world and gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. But also, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. Those are the twin focal points, I think, for us looking for God's reign, God's kingdom among us. We got to keep one eye on Jesus, where God has acted decisively in the past, and one eye on this world, the world which God is not condemning, but loving and saving. And how beautiful it is that we get to be part of this work too. It's Trinity Sunday today, and what a day it is to marvel at this holy and joy-giving mystery that God is not just some static guy in the sky, but God is a pulse, a force, a dance that is still unfolding, drawing each one of us into the dance as well. 
Jesus describes this dance, the dance of faith, the dance of the life of being born from above today. He says it's being like the wind, which blows where it chooses, and no one knows where it comes from or where it goes. Being born from above means that you assume a posture of availability and openness, detaching yourself from everything that might hold you back from accepting an invitation from God into the world. Where in the world is God inviting you? What might you need to detach, your for, detach yourself from to say yes? How might God be using you to bring that love and mercy of God's kingdom into the world. As you ponder and pray and act, may the kingdom of God, which comes about without our prayer, become real in and about you. Amen.